chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1 today, continuing our Christmas series entitled, Look Who's Coming to Christmas. Last week we looked at Matthew chapter 1 and looked at the genealogy of Jesus. And um, if you were here last week, um, how many of you resonated with any of those people? Because right? uh, we looked at people who were failures, who were the far-fetched, and who were the forgotten. And uh, that's a ragtag team of people coming to Christmas dinner right there. And so today we want to continue looking at look who's coming to Christmas. And um, uh, here's who's coming to Christmas today. Uh, God. All right. Um, God with us. Um, any, anybody in favor of having God come to Christmas dinner? All right. And, and so we're looking at um, God with us today. And so I hope you have your Bibles open. Let me read our text and it's actually today, I am actually just looking at really one verse, three words, okay? But I just want to set up how we get to these three words today. So in Matthew chapter 1, starting with verse 18, it says, This is how the birth of, Je of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want her to did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to dis, to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, and said, "Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus." Because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place from, the, from what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with a child and will give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel. Which means God with us. So Father we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for Jesus Christ. That he is the embodiment of God with us. And so Lord I pray that this word would be an encouragement to our hearts to know wherever we are at, whatever is going on, that you are with us. And so, Father, we just pray your blessing on your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so today we're going to look at four ways that God is with us. And, and the way I'm looking at this is um, in the form of Jesus being with us. And so here's the first thing um, about God with us is this. Uh, Jesus is my Emmanuel for sin. Jesus is my Emmanuel for sin. Now, let me explain how I came up with these titles for each of these points, because as you see on your outline, Jesus is my Emmanuel, all right? And it actually, I came up with this idea of Jesus is my Emmanuel from the text, but the wording of it actually comes from the movie Tombstone, all right? How many of you have ever seen that movie with um, Kurt Russell? Not very many. Okay. <laughs> then I'm going to have to explain. Kurt Russell plays Wyatt Earp. Okay, and and Tombstone is a movie that that depicts the shootout at the OK Corral. All right, I'm sure you all know that in your history, right? Everybody, do this, please, because if you don't know who the Wyatt Earp and the OK Corral is, we got problems, because this makes no sense then. So, why, so um, you have you have Kurt Russell playing Wyatt Earp, and Wyatt Earp is facing um, his one of his the, the bad guys, uh, Johnny Ringo. 
and, and Johnny Ringo is, is wanting to kill Wyatt Earp. And, and Johnny Ringo has his hands on his guns, and Wyatt Earp has his hands on his guns. And then you have Val Kilmer, who plays Doc Holliday. Doc, we all like that name, right? And so he plays Doc Holliday. Well, Val Kilmer stands up, and he walks out, and he, he opens up his coat, and he goes, I'll be your huckleberry. And the idea is, he's talking about, he goes, I'm the man you're looking for. And I just told Paul, I go, I just like when he says, I'll be your huckleberry. And I'm thinking of that, and I'm like, Jesus is looking at us going, I'll be your Emmanuel. I'll be your Emmanuel. And so today, I want to look at how Jesus is our Emmanuel, God with us. And he is our Emmanuel when it comes to our sin. And if you take a look at the text, you notice um, what would appear to be a contradiction. Because you have in one verse, it says that the angel told Joseph that you are to give him the name Jesus. All right. So when he's born, give him the name Jesus. But then when you look down in verse 23, it says the prophet Isaiah had prophesied. And he says the virgin will give birth to a child and you are to give him the name Emmanuel. Well, is it Jesus or is it Emmanuel? Do we have a contradiction? The answer to that is no. Jesus and Emmanuel, even though they are two different names, they are really one and the same. Because Jesus and Emmanuel, even though they're different names, actually reveal who he is and what his purpose was. They have the same meaning, the same purpose. Because Jesus, the name Jesus, actually, our English word Jesus is translated from a Greek word. And the Greek word is spelled this way, L-E-S-O-U-S. And it's Isus. And so the Greek word is Isus that we get our English word Jesus from. But the Greek word is actually translated from a Hebrew word, Yeshua. All right? Which means Jehovah, the Lord saves. And that's what the name Jesus means, is that the Lord has come to save. And that's why it says that you will name his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. God Jehovah is coming in the embodiment of Jesus to save us from our sins. He's coming. And so now you look at the name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus is the exact image of God in body with us. Now, this is a doctrine of, of Christianity that I don't think you and I can truly grasp. And it's the doctrine of the Trinity, a triune God, all right? Because when you and I try to understand one God in three persons, but all three persons are still God, I don't know about you, but I blow a fuse, okay? Because that is going from, how many of you know there are parts of the ocean that, that you can walk, 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 and if you walk too far, you will fall off a cliff, and it is so deep you can't touch the bottom. That's us with our Christian walk. We're walking, 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 but as soon as you hit the Trinity, whoosh, you just fall into a chasm that you, uh, like, I, how do you get out of this? 
okay? Because it's such a deep teaching, okay? The idea that, that there is one God, but three different persons. And each of those three different persons are still God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And I've illustrated this always, and I'm going to be getting into, um, in January, I'm starting in the book of John. And I will hit this again, because John chapter 1 is all about this. Jesus and God being God, and God is being Jesus, and they're all, holy cow, it's so confusing. But if you look at an egg, an egg, when it's, you, you hold an egg in your hand, you got an egg. But if you were to break that egg apart, how many parts does an egg have? Three. You've got the egg shell, the egg white, the egg yolk. All three of them, you separate them, they are still an egg, right? You're not looking at the white going, well, now it's a peanut. No, it is an egg. You look at the yolk, it is an egg. You look at the shell, it is an egg. Separate, but still an egg. God the Father is separate from God the Son. And God the Son is separate from God the Father and God the Spirit. And God the Spirit is separate from God the Father and God the Son. But guess what they all are? God. And so now we have God the Son stepping out of eternity and stepping into time. We have God the Son becoming God in the flesh. And, and this is what Jesus was killed over, all right? Jesus kept telling people, oh, by the way, uh, me and God the Father are one. We're the same. I am he, and he is me. And, and he caused the religious leaders to get so uproared that they said, okay, we got to kill him because he's blaspheming. You know, in the book of Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes and he says, Jesus was the very nature God, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, was made in human likeness and found it in the appearance of a man. The very nature God, but he becomes a man. You see, what we have here is God coming to us and God in the flesh coming to save us for our sin. You see, this right here, God coming to us, is what makes Christianity so distinctly different from any other religion. And what makes Christianity distinctly different from human thinking and human belief, okay? Because, mo because all the other religions and human thinking is this. We have to do and get to God. Christianity is God coming to us. You see, it, it, let me illustrate it like this. Imagine a, a, a family is, is at a pool, and, and the family has a four-year-old. And, and, and like a lot of four-year-olds, they like to get away from mom and dad. And the four-year-old sneaks away from mom and dad. And before mom and dad can catch the four-year-old, they have jumped into the deep end of the pool. And the problem with the four-year-old jumping into the deep end of the pool is they can't swim. So the four-year-old is kicking really hard, flailing their arms, and they keep going under the water. And they try to come up and, and, and suck air, but they keep going under the water. What's that four-year-old doing? They're drowning. And now the dad rushes over to the side, and he says, kick harder. 
Flail your arms more. Just keep kicking. Get to the side and pull yourself up and come to me. How many of you think, Dad, what are you doing? That's religion. That's the thinking of people. We just kick harder, flail harder, and we can get ourselves up out of the sin. We can't. Just like a four-year-old in a deep in the pool who can't swim isn't getting, no matter how hard they kick, they're not getting out of the deep end of the pool by themselves. It's got to take the father jumping into the water, taking the child and lifting them out. You see, that is what distinctly makes Christianity different. Everybody else says, we've got to get to God. You've got you to work harder. You've you got to be good. You do good things. You do generous things. You do nice things. You do kind things. We treat people well. We be nice to people. And in the end, if my good outweighs the bad, that will get me to God. But it doesn't. Because you and I cannot kick hard enough and swim hard enough. We can't do anything hard enough to get us out of the sin. The Bible makes it very clear that all of us are sinners. We have all sinned and we fall short of God. And the Bible even says that because of our sins, none of us are righteous or made right before God. We're all broken before God. And because of our sin, the book of Isaiah says that our sin separates us from God. We are separated from God. So here's what God did. God wasn't like a standoffish father and, and shouted at us, hey, kick harder, do more, get to me. No, God, through the birth of Christ, jumps into the pool. And he's like, I'm not going to require you to get to me. I am coming to you. And Christ being God in the flesh is God coming out of heaven to the world, off the edge, into the pool to save you and me. All right? Jesus jumps into the pool. You see, that's why Luke chapter 19 tells us this. Jesus is talking to people, and he says, The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. He came. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, it says, Paul writes and he says, Jesus came into the world to save sinners. The world is the pool. And Jesus came into this. Jesus being completely God came into this world. And when it means the world, it's not just talking the earth. He's talking about, man, he walked into, became a man. And he, the Bible in the book of Hebrews says that he was tempted in every way. All right, think about that. What do you get tempted by? Lust, greed, pride, all of it. Jesus was tempted in every way, but was without sin. You see, he came into the world. He, he had to become like one of us. That's why the Bible says that Jesus understands how we're made, man. He's like, he, he, he sympathizes with us. And that's why we can go to him and get the strength to overcome the things we're going through. Because he was in the flesh. He was in this world. And he came into the world to save us, to deal with the sin. I, I like what, 
how Psalm chapter 40, verses 1 and 2, David writes it this way. He says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire, and set my feet on a rock. You see, that is a perfect picture of Christ. When, when you come to know Christ as Savior, it is God reaching down in the slimy pit, the mire of sin. And guess what he's doing? Lifting you out of it. And guess where he's putting you? On the rock of Christ. That's salvation in Jesus Christ. That's what it means. When I put my faith in Christ, it is because Christ has come down and he has rescued me. I am not rescuing myself. The name of Emmanuel emphasizes the, the nearness of God. The name of Jesus emphasizes the saving grace of God. You see, Christ's birth um, brought an infinite holy God to finite sinful people. The birth of Christ brought Jesus here to live with us so we could live with him. The birth of Christ took the son of God to become the son of man. So the sons and daughters of man can become sons and daughters of God. You see, that's what the birth of Christ is all about. God coming to us. And so when we celebrate Christmas, when we look at this baby in a manger, when we think about that, that is God in the flesh, God now with us. Not just out there somewhere, but with us. And he is with us to save us from our sin. And we do that. You see, here's the thing. Jesus did it all. Jesus did it all. He built the bridge for us between us and God. We couldn't get to God. Jesus built the bridge between us and God. And that bridge is him. And the way we cross that bridge is simply through faith. That's the only thing you and I have got to do is put our faith in Christ alone. Not in my work. It's not me going, well, Jim, I hear you, but you know what? I'm a pretty good person. I'm pretty stand-up. I do a lot of good things. I give, to, I give to charities. I do a lot of religious things. I, I go to church. I, I, I sing hymns. I, I do it all, Jim. I doesn't mean anything. You're trying to work and get your out, yourself out of the pool. It is only the Bible says that we are justified by to God, made right before God through faith. You've got to come to the place where you say, Jesus, I can't get to God, but I know you can. You can get me to God. And placing your faith in him alone. So Jesus is my Emmanuel for sin. Here's the second thing. Jesus is my Emmanuel for trials. He's my Emmanuel for trials. I hope that point one, when you understand that that God becomes flesh to come to us to save us from our sin. I hope you get that and go, that's a tremendous truth. 
Because sometimes, how I many you know, you can hear that and it just kind of just goes over your head. Yeah, I got that. Been there, bought the T-shirt. Let's move on. But listen, without Christ coming to us, guess where we're all headed? To hell. We are all separated because we are all sinners. There's nothing we can do. And if it wasn't for Christ coming to us and saving us, we are all eternity lost. The fact that Jesus died for you and you have eternal salvation, especially at Christmas time, every day should be like a, a, a truth where you're like, wow, I don't deserve it. I am so lost. But Jesus, you came for me. And that truth should just like, just wow you all the time. Because you have eternal life because of nothing you did. Everything what he did. And that should be a truth that should rock your boat every day. So when you understand that, that should be like a very joyful truth. But how many of you know this truth also? When you come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, how many of you know you're not sitting there going, Scotty, beam me up? You're still here. You haven't been transferred into God's eternal kingdom. You haven't been transported out of the earth to heaven. You're still here, right? So here's the thing. While we're here on this side of heaven, guess what we're enduring? Good times. And bad times. While we're here on this side of heaven, we're going to endure the trials, the suffering, pain, hurt, affliction. We're, we're, going, to, we're going to experience it all. In fact, Paul writes it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, while on this side of heaven, we will groan and we are burdened. Anybody agree with that? Do you ever just go through life and you just feel like you're groaning? Do you ever just like, oh, I'm just so tired? I'm tired of being in, why can't I get healing in my body? Why are we always in, in a financial difficulty? Why did I have to get divorced? Why did my child have to die? Why did this have to happen? Why did a tornado wipe away our town? Pain, hurt, suffering. It is a reality on this side of heaven. Because we're not in heaven yet. And so we need to understand that while we are in this side of heaven, God is with us. Jesus, my Emmanuel. You know, a this is where you and I have to understand some of the promises of God's word. Because they become anchors to the soul. If you don't have an anchor, you're just like a boat that drifts. The first wave that comes up, you're just, you're just washed away. But when you have an anchor, that's why Jesus says, those who build their, their life, their house upon the rock, my word, it doesn't matter what blows into their life. It doesn't matter how hard the wind is crashing and the waves are crashing. They are not moved. Why? Because I know what God says. And a tremendous truth, a tremendous promise that God gives is from Isaiah chapter 43. Now, when he gives this, when Isaiah gives this promise, it was given to the children of, of Israel, God's people then. But here's the thing. Um, the Old Testament translates to us because we become the children of God through Christ. So this promise in Isaiah 43, not only for the children of Israel, but also for God's children today. And Isaiah chapter 43 tells us this. It says, but now says the Lord, 
He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and and the flame shall not consume you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I would encourage you this week, take that scripture and, and change some of the wording. Like when he says, this is what the Lord God says, he who created you, instead of saying, oh, Jacob, Insert your name. If you are a child of God, you've come to know Christ as Savior, you can read that and say, this is what the Lord says to me. He who created me, O Jim, he who formed me, O Jim, fear not. For God has redeemed me. I have been called by name. I am his. You see, when you start changing the pronouns to you as a believer in Christ, you can take that as a promise and understand and know that's an anchor for me. Because when I'm going through the the deep water, when I'm going through the fire, guess who I know who is with me? Jesus, my Emmanuel, God with me. And I need to have an anchor of knowing, hey, how do I know God is with me? Why? Because the Bible tells me. You see, this reminds me of what David declares in Psalm chapter 23. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Let me ask you, is the, is the 23rd Psalm, what David just said, just apply to him? Or can it apply to us today? It applies to us today. So when you and I are walking through what seems like the valley of the shadow of death, it may even be the valley of... I mean, you may be looking at death's door, but do you have to fear? No. Why? Because my Emmanuel, Jesus, my Emmanuel, is with me. I I thought about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter 3. If you don't know the story, let me give you a quick recap. In Daniel chapter 3, you have King Nebuchadnezzar of the Babylonians, okay? This is when he had come in, he conquered Israel, had taken back all these captivities back to Babylon. And you have Daniel there. You have these three godly men, Shadrach, Meshach, and and, and Abednego. And, And Nebuchadnezzar, in his pride and arrogance, decides, hey, I'm going to raise and build this gold image and and it's I, i'm assuming it was a gold image of himself this huge idol and he says every time the, the the trumpeters blow and and the band breaks out and music everybody will worship this thing shadrach shadrach meshach and abednego was like oh we can't do that we're jewish men we have the first commandment. Thou shalt not worship any other gods. We shall not worship any idols. We, we can't do it. So the first time um, when, when the, the trumpets blew, everybody worshiped except for these three guys. And King Nebuchadnezzar was like, um, throw them in the fire. Because he warned people, if you don't worship this thing, I'll throw you in the fire and kill you. So um, there they are standing before the king. And the king's like, if you do not worship this thing, I'm going to throw you in the fire. And they're like, dude, listen. I mean, you know, that's like different translation. Okay, that's the, the, the cool version. And they're like, dude, king, um, even if you um, throw us in the fire, we're not worshiping you. Because our God can save us. 
And that infuriated Nebuchadnezzar, and he throws him in the fire. He lights it up seven times even hotter, throws him in the fire. And in chapter 3, verse 25, when Nebuchadnezzar's like sitting there going, ha, ha, I've won, he looks into the fire, and he's like, one, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. Did we not throw three into the fire? And he looks again, and he's like, I see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But then I see one more. And he looks like the son of God. Nebuchadnezzar got it really fast. That the son of God was with these three in the literal fire. You see, that translates to you and me today. Guess what? You may not be going through the literal fire. Like, a, like I'm in the burning fire. But you may be going through the fiery trial. And you've got to understand that Christ, your Emmanuel, is with you. Jesus, our Emmanuel. You know what? He's a God that he's not checked out. He's not too busy with everything else. No, no, no. He is personally concerned with you. If you know him as your Savior, he is your Emmanuel. He is with you. And that's why I, I sit and think when we know Christ is my Emmanuel, we have the anchor of Psalm chapter 46, verses 1 and 3. It says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble in its swelling. Does anybody other need to think that the earth is just crumbling right now? It just seems like the oceans are just roaring. It just seems like, man, things are out of control. But here's the thing. When I know Christ is Savior, guess what? I have an anchor of knowing just as David writes in this one. He's like, hey, listen, I know where my help comes from. I have an ever-present help in the time of trouble because my Emmanuel, God, is with me. And that is the promise that you and I have. And even when we go through those trials, we go through the storm, the promises that God doesn't keep us from them, but the promises is that when we are going through them, we can have peace, that we don't have to be overwhelmed with anxiety and worry, it doesn't mean that the, the trial's moving anywhere. It doesn't mean that the fire has gone out. But it does mean that I can have this confidence of knowing my Emmanuel is with me. You see, that's why Paul writes in, in, the, in Philippians chapter 4. He says, I tell you, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice in the Lord. The Lord is near. And he, he says, so because the Lord is near, let your gentleness be evident to everybody. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. And then he says, then the peace of God, which transcends your understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. But the key is this, knowing the Lord is near. That's the key. When I understand my Emmanuel, Jesus, God with me, the Lord is near. In my trial, God is with me. And I just, 
as I'm going through the trial. It doesn't mean I can't cry out to God. It doesn't mean that I don't, I don't keep giving it to God. Man, I keep praying about it. I keep throwing it at his feet. I keep casting that. I just like, God. But as I just keep giving it to him, I just keep praying. I just keep casting it. That's when that peace comes. And I'm able to rest and go, God, I don't understand why this is happening. I don't know how long it's going to happen. But I trust in you. Because you are my Emmanuel, God with us. So, Jesus is my Emmanuel for sin, for trials. Here's the third one. Jesus is my Emmanuel for life. For my life. I mean, not only does, it's not like God's just showing up when you're going through a trial. All right? Amen for that, right? God's with us in the trial. But I want to make sure God's with me all the time. Not just like, well, it's July 3rd, uh, two years, God just shows up. No, I want God present in my life always. And that's what Emmanuel, God with us, is. God with us always, all the time. Through every stage of life, through your spiritual journey, Christ, your Emmanuel, is with you. You know, here in our text in chapter 1, the very first thing we see is God with us. The very last thing, the very final verse of Matthew, chapter 28. There's 28 chapters in the book of Matthew. The very last verse in the book of Matthew. Anybody know? I will be with you always. He, the very last thing he says in the book of Matthew, surely I tell you this, I am with you always. Not part-time, not 35%, not 99%, always I am with you. Jesus Christ, my Emmanuel. In the book of Hebrews chapter 13, it says this, verses 5 and 6, God has said, how many of you know when it says God has said, you can take that to the bank? Okay, you you don't have to sit there and wonder, well, did God No, if it says God says, thus says the Lord, it is something God has said. So Hebrews 13, five and six says, God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. So the writer of Hebrews is like, well, if God has told me, I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. The writer of Hebrews is like, well, then what am I worried about? Why am I so stressed? Why am I full of anxiety? Why am I so afraid? If God is with me, he's never forsaken me. I need to take a chill pill. And I need to trust him. Let him be God and know that he is with me. But I wonder, in your daily experience, do you know that Jesus is your Emmanuel? Do you ever doubt it? Do you ever wonder? Do you ever sometimes act like the the, the children of Israel? Okay, God's children back then. um, God was with them, like with a pillar of fire and the cloud and doing miraculous things. How many of you, let's just be honest, if God just did one of the miracles in the Old Testament, would you really question God? Trick question, isn't it? Because you'd be like, no, yes, we would. Here's the thing. In the book of Exodus, chapter 17, the, the nation of Israel got so frustrated. Um, 
They, they, they were seeing God move and stuff, but here's their frustration. They actually shouted out to, to, to Moses, is God with us or not? They were just like, we just need to know, Mo. Is he with us or is he not? How many of you ever say that? Is God really in this thing? I mean, I mean, why is this happening? If God was with me, where is he? Why? He is with us. And do you know how the confidence that you and I can have to know that God Emmanuel is with us, and it's this. Something we have that the people of Israel and all the Old Testament didn't have that, trans, that, that changed everything with the New Testament church is this. When you come to know Christ as your Savior, guess what you receive? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells within you. In the book of uh, Galatians chapter 4, verse 6, it says, and because you are sons of God, because you're a child of God, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. God has sent the spirit of Christ in your heart. When you come to, when you say, God, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Come into my life. That isn't some kind of weird verbiage that we just say. When we say, come into my life, what we are asking is, God, bring me that Holy Spirit and put it in me. Deposit that thing. And the Holy Spirit. Now get this. The ever-presence Emmanuel of God the Spirit is in you. God the Spirit is in you. And that Holy Spirit dwells within you. And the Holy Spirit is the one that comforts us. It's the Holy Spirit that, that guides us and directs us. It's the Holy Spirit that gives us life. It's the Holy Spirit that gives us hope. It's the Holy Spirit that, that strengthens us in the spirit of the, or, or the truth of God's word. It's the Holy Spirit that reminds us what God's word says. It's the Holy Spirit living in me that I know God is with me always. You have the presence of the Spirit of God in you. He is with you, living in you, active in you, and here's the thing, never leaving you. The Holy Spirit's not like, okay, that Ron Robinson, man, I'm really tired of living in him. I'm out of here. No. In you, sealed in you. Okay? And so you know that God is with you because of the Holy Spirit. Jesus Emmanuel for life. And then lastly, here's the last thing. Jesus is my Emmanuel for death. Now, I know that sounds morbid, but how many people freak out about death? How many people, I'm, I'm okay with life, but I'm worried about death. A lot of people are uncertain about death. One person in the, in the New Testament that I believe truly understood what it meant to know God with me in life and God with me in death was Paul. Paul just got it. He's like, man, I, wherever I'm at, whatever's going on in my life, um, Christ is with me. And even in death, Christ will be with me. He writes in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 18. Paul says this. He says, the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack, and he will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. I read that this week, and it's been a long time since I must have read that verse. And I read that, and I'm like, how awesome is that? He's like, hey, while I'm on this earth going through the, through the junk, 
God's with me, and he's going to deliver me. But when it's time for my heart to beat the last time and my eyes to close the final time, I know that he will lead me home safely. Isn't that great news that you and I don't have to figure out how to get there on ourselves? We're not sitting there working our way to heaven. No, no, no. I've put my faith in Christ, so when my heart beats the last time, there's nothing to worry and nothing to fear because Christ is going to bring me home safely. He is with me from the beginning of my life to the very end and for all eternity. Because I love what John in the book of Revelation says. He says, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. I love that. There's only really only one thing about us that we will be his people. Everything else is about God with us. God's kingdom is coming. His house is coming. He will dwell with us. He will be our God. It's like God's just like, hey, you know what? It's not about you. It's about me. It's not about you getting to me. It's about me getting to you. And guess what? From the very beginning of Jesus' birth all the way through eternity, it is about God getting to us. It is not about us getting to God. God is all about being with us. I love this commentator, and I'm going to close with this quote. This one commentator I read says it this way. Emmanuel promises to be with us daily to pardon and to forgive, to be with us daily to sanctify and to strengthen, to be with us daily to defend and keep, to be with us daily to lead and to guide, to be with us in sorrow, to be with us in joy, to be with us in sickness, to be with us in health. He will be with us in life. He will be with us in death. He will be with us in time, and he will be with us in eternity. Amen? Hey, why don't we all stand? Let's get ready to close. God's coming Christmas. And I pray that, that you know him. And, and that you can have that certainty of knowing that you have God, that you'll be with God. But I, I want to reiterate, the way that happens is that you've got to place your faith in Christ. And maybe you're watching online for the first time. I don't know. And I don't know where you are spiritually. But here's the thing. If you've never come to the place where you have acknowledged Christ as your Savior, you're still a sinner, separated from God. And the way you come to that place where you are made right with God is that you've got to come to the place where you place your faith in Christ. Ask him to forgive you. Ask him to come into your life. Ask him to be your savior. As I'm praying here in a few seconds, I would just ask that, that just y'all just bow your heads and maybe you just personally need to do a little inventory on your heart right now. And, and as I pray, if you don't know Christ, I would encourage you to come to that place where you just say, Jesus, forgive me. Be my savior today. Come into my life. I need you. Even after the service, if you don't know Christ and you have questions, come and talk to me. Come and just say, Jim, I, I, I want to know that Jesus. 
So, Father, I just thank you that you sent Jesus Christ and that, Father, you came. God, you in the flesh, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, the Godhead, came to dwell among us, a broken, sinful people. You came to save us from our sin. You came to dwell among us. And Lord, maybe even right now, if there would be anybody here today or even watching online, if they have never come to that place where they have said, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Maybe they've never acknowledged you as their savior. Maybe even right now in just the quietness, they're by themselves, they just start to acknowledge the reality that they don't know you. And that they would begin to just say, Jesus, I need you. Come into my life. Be my savior. So Father, we thank you that you are always with us. You're with us in our sin. You're with us in our trials, through our lives, through all the way to death. Lord, we just thank you. And we do praise you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.